Welcome to Mastermind in Your Pocket. Today we're dealing with death, grieving, and getting complete. So we have experts from around the Salt Lake metropolitan area, meaning the world. Beaver, <laughs> do you want to introduce yourself? Are we yeah, live? Uh, we were talking about speaking loud for the audio. I don't know if we told you that because you were out of the room. Mm, okay. So make sure people can pick this up. We're going to speak a little louder today because we are that tech savvy. Right, guys? That's right. So you are listening to Mastermind in Your Pocket where we talk about what's important to you. And... Uh, today we're talking about death, and the title is How to Deal with It. Um, we're going to share different aspects of death with you uh, from our experiences with it or our coaching. I'm going to be speaking about uh, what I've been seeing with death showing up possibly at some time with my parents, mostly my dad. Um, who's going to start today? I am. Oh, wait, wait, before I forget. If you want to call in, sorry, if you want to call in, you can call in at 713-955-0531, and you can comment on Facebook, and I've got the Twitter feed going, but didn't have a chance to set up Instagram or uh, YouTube today, but we have the Twitter feed going, so you can find me at, you guys probably don't realize this, you can find me at Mr. Wow. So you can find our live feed on Twitter at Mr. Well. That sounds good for you. Nice. And you can call in at 713-955-0531. I'll post that in the comments. You might see me working a little bit, looking a little bit distracted. I'm always listening, but I'm just working producing the show and make sure we can answer your questions or address your comments. And who wants to take it away first? I forget when you guys. Well, let's chatting. introduce ourselves and then I'll go. Great, so, let's do that. Peter, do you want to introduce My name's Heber LeBaron. I'm a certified life coach. Um, I work with individuals who are uh, looking to have increase their performance in sales, and I work with individuals who are in relationships or dating and looking for intimacy in their lives. And I'm McCall. I'm a master nutritionist, and I've trained in functional medicine. Um, I also do neuroemotional healing, which gets to the root cause of where the trauma is actually in the brain, the physical brain, mm-hmm. and work to resolve that. So it's, it's much different than conscious coaching or talk therapy, which doesn't activate uh, the parts of the brain where the trauma actually is located. That's awesome. I'm Elizabeth Masuri, a certified sign language interpreter, and I also do life coaching, prefer to work with moms. And I'm Adam Pajdeen. I have a show called All to Perform, and I do coaching for people on health and business and proven marketing strategies where we guarantee results. And you can reach me uh, anywhere. So uh, who's, who's starting first? I'm starting today. We're going to talk about um, grieving, whether it's death or another loss. So first thing I want to say is um, – highlighting two paths that we can take. One path that is going through our grief and to healing and one path where we kind of get stuck in pain or blame or uh, we kind of get stuck with it. We don't get through it. And then it just kind of stays there long term. Okay. So um, 
which I might add most of the chronic illness that I work with, actually you can trace it back to a point of grief or trauma that they didn't actually get through it. Wow. And we basically have to bring it all up and go through it in order to heal the physical body. So this is very impactful, especially if you have chronic illness or pain or symptoms from grieving. Okay. So, um, Let's just talk about the path through it because that is the path that leads to peace. Um, and I'm going to discuss with with death. There's a loss. Like when someone in our life dies, um, we experience loss, and we also experience loss when we lose a future. Like for example, um, my first pregnancy was a miscarriage, and that, I lost a child, but I didn't ever know that child. So what I really lost was like my future with that child. Um, it was very real loss. There's um, divorce, uh, where you're losing a marriage. There's infidelity, where you lose the trust of your intimate partner. Um, anytime you're dealing with a traumatic loss, or really any loss, like even if you're expecting it, um, you still have to either take one path or the other, either go through it or kind of be stuck with it. So starting with that, we're gonna, there's basically four steps. Um, that I want to talk to you about. So uh, one is acknowledging what you're feeling. So you like, for example, um, you might be feeling pain, you might be feeling anger. Um, grief is more of a process. So you might say you're feeling grief when really you're feeling pain or sadness or um, some emotion that's part of that process. Depression is something people experience when they're going through grief. Um, there's, uh, there's negotiating, there's, there's, um, blame, <laughs> I guess that would be anger, like anger that's pointed at someone. So it's critical to acknowledge what you're feeling. So after I had a miscarriage, um, I felt really, really, I felt sad, but I really felt angry. Um, and I blamed God. I mean, who else can you blame, right? It was either, I mean, there was no logical way for me to blame myself, so I just blamed God. Um, and it was different for my husband. He, he just went into, like, uh, a lot of sadness, a lot of sadness and crying, and I didn't cry. And he was like, why aren't you crying, you know? So the point is, acknowledging your feelings is what makes the difference, not that you have to feel a certain way. Like, it wasn't critical for me. Hold on a second. Um, that I cried initially, right? So the feelings I had initially were kind of like betrayal from God. That's what I experienced, right? Um, so the first part of getting through it is to like kind of allow yourself to feel those feelings and notice and acknowledge that they're there. And I keep using the word acknowledge. Let me try a different word. Um, so even putting a name to it, I think. Putting a name to it. That's what I'm trying to say. Thank you, Nicole. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Put a name to it for yourself. Okay. So, like, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling guilty. You know, some of us have dealt with suicide in our family. And there's a massive amount of grief that you can actually go through and then get to peace about that. But one of the feelings that you're going to feel is guilty. Um, or if you lose a child, or if you lose a parent, you're going to feel guilty for the time you didn't spend with them, or the things you didn't do for them, or the doctor you didn't think to take them to, or know that existed, etc. Okay, so whatever you're feeling, put a name to it. <laughs> that helps a lot. Okay, then self-compassion. So 
lots of self-compassion. And if you're feeling guilty, for example, you might not think you deserve compassion. So I want to put this in terms of how would you treat your child who's going through this? If you don't have a child, imagine that you have, or a dear friend or a loved one. How would you treat them if they were dealing with what you're dealing with? And do that for yourself. And that will give you, even if you don't feel like it, like, I don't feel like taking a bath. I don't feel like going and getting a massage. I feel like, you know, eating a chocolate cake. <laughs> um, this, the compassion is what's critical. So having that gentleness and that acceptance of like, yes, I'm angry, and I'm going to be compassionate with myself versus I'm going to try and make it right. I'm going to try and fix myself. That's not being compassionate. Um, so we often expect ourselves like to man up or get over it. And sometimes other people will also say stuff like that. Like, for example, it was just a miscarriage. Like people would all the time say to me, oh, well, you'll have fun trying for another one. It was diminishing it. So we do that to ourselves. So don't diminish your loss. And I, I, it doesn't matter, whatever you're dealing with right now, all of us have had loss. So just go to something that you're actually dealing with and look and see, did I, am I diminishing that? Like it's not that big of a deal? Or am I giving myself compassion? Like I'm actually really sad that, you know, I lost my father or my pet or whatever. Can I add another example that this might apply to as well? Definitely. Because, you know, we think of loss and if there's nothing that like is one of those classic loss or grieving yeah. examples, we're like, oh, I'm not grieving. Yeah. But I've experienced that even life's change or a change of another person, like let's say it's even a good change, like they healed or like something happened or they're a lot better than they were. Um, a coach once told me that we create an identity for ourselves with whatever life circumstances are. And so when there's even a change, even if it's positive or if, even if somebody else is like, you know, growing, but it's changed the dynamics. We have to grieve who we were, and we have to become something, something new. So life changes too. I think just for the audience, like, you know, you may not, somebody may not have died, but we do experience grief of even ourselves through life changes and just being compassionate with ourselves. That's what I'm. So for example, getting. so true. When one of my siblings that's really close to me moves away. Mm -hmm. Then yeah. there's actually an experience of loss yes. and grief because we were once really good friends. We used to spend a lot of time together, and now they're thousands of miles away. And if I don't like acknowledge that as a, as grief and name it as grief, then it just sits there forever. Yes, so powerful. So I really appreciate that, McCall and Hubert. So especially, um, even anticipated change can bring grief. Mm. Okay. So I'm thinking of when I lived in Missouri. Mm. Um, my husband got a head injury, and at that time, my dad lived about five hours away, but he would visit about every five weeks, and I felt okay. I felt like he was my security blanket because if anything went down, I knew my dad could come, and then he announced he was moving to Florida, and I immediately went into grief, just like, oh my gosh, how am I going to deal with life, and like, so even anticipated change, um, the perfect, so whatever you're dealing with around loss, this will make a difference. Okay, so once you have, are willing to really acknowledge or put a name to how you're feeling and um, give yourself lots of self-compassion, the next step is connect with others who understand that specific loss. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you have lost a child through suicide, there, there's either people out there for sure who have gone through that, and I would even encourage you to try a support group of people of that particular niche. 
Um, if you're dealing with betrayal trauma, like, you know, if your husband has a pornography addiction, there's a niche of people who really get what that's like. So that is the next step. Reach out, connect with people who are going to be uplifting, but who empathetically get it about what you're actually dealing with. Can you, um, hmm. so I can see how that's powerful. And I know, no, I know from my own life, like looking back, um, I tend to like when I'm dealing with something, I just I pull in and I somewhat isolate and I like don't talk to a lot of people. I like talk to my mom, you know, like I talk to like two or three people. So I can tell that I would immediately start resisting that. Great. So what could like what's an incentive or what's a way for me to get over the resistance to say no, no, no. Put yourself, go do it. Like, this will make a difference for you. Okay, well, I would say, look at it this way. Um, for example, I'm in, like, the grieving I have right now is around, I'm in a, in a divorce, I'm experiencing divorce. And I have found a few other women who've gone through a similar divorce. So they're a very good support person for certain aspects of it. Mm. And what I would say is, if you already have someone you talk to, go talk to them. And at the point where they run out of support, i.e. some of these women are angry at their ex-husbands. I don't ever want to be, like, right that I'm angry at my ex-husband and it's all his fault. Like, that doesn't work for me. So sometimes they, their support isn't enough. You know, but if your support people are able to listen to you when, when you need it, be empathetic and give you the encouragement that you're looking for, it's okay. You don't need a support group. Um, really if cool. you don't have people in your life who've gone through it, seek out an actual support group. Even if you only go once and make one friend, you can connect with that. Okay. If I could like <clears throat> add to that, one thing I've noticed is that when uh, you talk about support groups, my experience is uh, people that are in the service or in care, like caring for whatever it might be, might not be your support group because you said something key there. Uh, they're empathic to what you're dealing with, right? Empathetic, yeah. Like empathetic they get it. to what they're dealing with. But they're actually dealing with it to get it, not on the other side dealing with it. And that's why I've seen my parents. Like sometimes nurses get it and sometimes they're like cold, mm. you know. Mm. But when you meet people that are in it or have experienced it, they usually like get what you're dealing with or get what you're caused. Mm. Like when you heard my stand for my father last week, Heber, about uh, – creating the life that he wants to live now, right? Yeah. Even with doctors telling me to put a pillow over his face and kill him. You metaphorically. Know? Yeah, metaphorically, figuratively, right? Um, but they say that to me as if he doesn't exist, mm-hmm. and they don't get it. Right? Mm-hmm. They don't yes. get, like, yes. if, you, if, if you spend some time with them, sometimes they get it, but a lot of times they default to their point of view still. Um, and so make sure you're you're reaching out to people that are actually dealing with it or have dealt with it. Right. And they're much more compassionate. Um, kind of like what we were talking about the show earlier is that when people are actually, and I, and I will just go into this too far, but when people are actually doing it and growing like a podcast or something, what I've seen is that they understand more. Um, than an outsider analyst. Than an outsider analyst. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. I, I, I threw this in here so I yeah. remember, but it's huge. Like, I have a good associate, Bert Martinez, and uh, he's been my mentor. 
And he's like, it doesn't, a lot of things don't matter from what you're saying. And he's friends with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's doing a thing with Obama. Um, he's done what you want to do. Yeah, and he started with his phone. Yeah. And built it way up, oh. and he never criticizes. He just pluses. He gives you, like, yeah, that's great. Because he knows it doesn't matter. What matters is your drive, your passion, and building it. But back to that making sure that you're talking to people, not the doctors, not the nurses, not the people that are, I have to stop it. So. I was like, Hebrew, yeah, can't so remember to take your phone off. Oh, we did not turn um, our phones. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we need to have like an announcement. When we first come outside, please find what you're talking so connecting with others who get it. That's that, yeah, they really get it. Not outside looking exactly. in, not caring yes. for them, not the guy filling out the paperwork, whatever it might be. I'm trying to think of all my mm. my situations. But gotcha. that person outside looking in that kind of gets it, someone that's dealt with it. You know right away they've dealt with it because the compassion changes like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's right. With you. That's right. Yeah. That's it. That's what you're looking mm. exactly. Thanks, Adam. That really yeah. captured it. Okay, so the last step is um, express everything that comes up inside. And this is as you're going through this path. So picture it like metaphorically actually going through a path. Probably like a thorny path at night is kind of what it's like, right? Because you can't really see what's coming and it hurts sometimes, <laughs> you know? Um, but as you, yeah, you're going to get thorns in your foot or snagging or ripping your clothes. Exactly. Oh, I hate those gohans. Oh, I hate those. Yeah. Those are nasty peaches, too. She lands once with them on her path. I'm like, oh, you got to go ahead, buddy. (laughs) That's kind of what grief is like. You know, it gets us at times and we don't know why and it really hurts. Um, but expressing everything that comes up. So I just want to get kind of specific about this. So for example, you might have things you need to say. Um, also, okay, before I go any further, I want the point is to express everything that comes up with the intention of releasing it. That's a key component. So if you have something you need to say, and it would not be constructive to say it to the person, or the person has passed away, tell someone else or write a letter, right? And, and, and it's okay if it doesn't go away, just do it with the intention of letting it go. Like if you're doing it with the intention to hurt someone, it's not going to forward your grief. It's not going to forge your healing, is what I mean. Like, you're not going to get further down the path um, by um, expressing... By stopping and... By trying to fight, uh, right. The go-ahead bush. Exactly. By boxing the go-ahead bush. It's not going to forge your path. Um, Thanks. Okay, okay. So, yeah. So, saying what you need to say, not necessarily to to someone that it might be aimed at, um, writing a letter especially if you've lost someone or if you want to communicate, like if you have, like if you're having a life change, like for example, divorce, and you really want to communicate with your mother who is really close to you and she's dead, you could write her a letter. Um, so writing a letter, um, yelling at God. I mean, that might seem kind of out there, but that really works. If you believe in God or if you ever communicate with him, then um, I find it's really effective to just be straight with him. Sometimes. Or not try it out. <laughs> Or if you don't believe in God, just try it out. Oh, if you don't believe in God, you can try it out. But if you 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 believe there's anything bigger than you in the universe, you can yell at it. But that's even better if you don't believe in God. You're just yelling at something that has a thing and maybe it's better for you. It could allow you to move down that path. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's obvious to most of us that we don't have control over everything. 
and there's something out there other than us. And for me, I call that God or my Heavenly Father. And, um, and it just really works when you're feeling at, um, like, that you're a victim of that which is bigger than you. It works to communicate that and to, with the intention of releasing it, to just get it all out there. Like, you know what? For me, I was counting on God. And, like, I thought he wanted me to have kids, and then I had this miscarriage, and I was like, what the heck? Like, very painful, very emotionally painful, but also, like, hey, God, I thought you were looking out for me. What the heck? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very healing because I was, in my mind, the way I was raised was, you don't do that. You're grateful with God. That's the way he wants you to be is grateful. You don't, you don't be honest. You don't be angry. You don't be nasty. <laughs> um, but for me to actually let all that out with him was super healing. So say what you have to say. If you need to, you can get a therapist who will really listen. Um, it's not necessary for everyone, but that's very helpful for, for some people, especially if you feel stuck. They have generally, therapists have a lot of experience working with grief, and they can help you move down that path. Um, if you go to a support group, open your mouth. This is one way to say what there is to mm. say. Those people are going to get it, and you get to say all of the ugly stuff that is not really going to be constructive to say anywhere else. So if you might say in a letter, you can actually say it as a support group. Um, make a scrapbook of, of the good times or allow yourself to enjoy memories of the good times. Even if it brings up sadness, that's very healing. Um, so I had ultrasound pictures. I had, um, you know, maternity clothes. Um, and to allow myself to like be with that there were good times um also in my divorce like to really be able to enjoy that there were good times in my marriage and and to let myself still have love for my husband um since my ex-husband has been just really positive um and a way of releasing things like releasing the sadness you know that this is a massive loss okay so celebrating the good times whether that's making a scrapbook or something else. Um, and I think I have one more. Um, allowing yourself to feel sad. Like, know that it doesn't last forever as long as you're moving forward. It will come back up. And for me, my experience has been, um, it's intermittent. Like, you deal with some pain, and if you get through it and release it, later on you'll have pain about something else until it's totally complete and you're totally at peace with, like, yeah, that happened. It's not like the loss is going away, but you get to a place where you're just at peace with it mm-hmm. and acceptance. Okay, so um, the last thing I want to highlight is kind of the opposite, really briefly. Um, the opposite is when you try not to feel. Uh, push down your feelings. Try not to be angry with God. Um, try to force yourself just to be grateful or positive or cheerful. Um, or blaming, picking someone to blame. So those are the two places to really get stuck. Um, if there, sometimes there is someone to blame, like someone actually killed your loved one, or, or you can blame your ex. That's very easy. We all do that. <laughs> I, I blame my friend Arturo for everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's your fault. So when we honestly pin blame on someone and we're right, like they are the ones whose fault it is, we immediately get stuck. And we get to keep that anger forever. And it's like the old, the almost cliche, we drink the poison hoping they're going to die. So don't do that. Or if you're stuck there, 
start to go through this process. You can start it at any time, even if you have long-held anger. Acknowledge what you're feeling. Lots of self-compassion. Connect with others who really get it. And express everything that comes up as it comes up. Yeah. Awesome. That's really great. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Who's next? I'll go. Um, is, is that okay? Yeah. No. I wanted to segue. Um, I went to a funeral a couple of weeks ago for a cousin of mine that committed suicide. And um, I went with the anticipation that I was, um, or the thought was that I was just showing up to support the family because I hadn't heard from him in 15 years or more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, you know, when I was a really young child, um, I spent a lot of time with him at my grandparents. Um, and when I got to the funeral, um, I just got overwhelmed with emotion. I just started crying and, um, I knew that it wasn't going to be healthy for me to resist it. So I just did it. And, um, every time that happens to me and I get to that place of vulnerability, it, something that always comes up for me is that my body is thanking me. Like the, the, the release, just the release, like, um, it's like a form of gratitude. I don't know how to express it, but whatever endorphin is released, it's just something that I, it's like we resist and we put on all of our, you know, our strong suits and all of our, but when we go to, when we deal with death, we get to deal with a very authentic portion of life, you know, and, um, there's a lot of completion and clearing that comes through that. So, um, that's something that I witnessed. I wasn't expecting it, and it was um, part of the show that I was gonna, that I'm segueing into is um, the meaning that we give life through death. Like, how do we? How is it that we want to live our lives, and how can we look at death in a way to kind of gauge that or or honor it? Is how I say it because I know that every time somebody's died in my life, in looking back, the way that I honor them is. Um, how I live my life and how that would mean to them, regardless of how they live their life. And in life coaching, um, sometimes when people get really stubborn or they need like a reality check, I use death as a form of mm-hmm. of like checking in to see, you know, how is it that you want to live your life? What are you actually willing to do or be until you die? Because that's, you know, sometimes that's a question that, um, that we don't look at. Um, and especially when it comes to the time in our lives when our parents are facing that or our grandparents and it's really close. Um, like right now, my grandparents, I have two grandparents that are um, getting close. And the conversation I have with my parents is, are you doing what you need to for them? Because I'm going to be doing that for you. Mm. Like, how are we all learning through this experience? to make sure that they're taken care of the way that they want to be and honoring them so that they have what's left in their life. Why, why do you think that's important? And I'm just bringing that up because you brought it up with me. Mm-hmm. Why is that important? Why not just do whatever the status quo is? I don't know what the status quo is. For uh-huh. me, it's important. And I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's how vulnerable I am. Like, when well, I, it's obviously important to me too. I just want to. Yeah, no, and I, I think I don't that, really know why either. It's just hmm. I think it's about being a human being or being. In, I mean, I tend to lean towards my dad more because I've 
I've had a better relationship with them. And my mom, my relationship with my mom's definitely improved, but she's always had a kind of mental illness, so it's always been hard to connect with her. But uh, it's how he was with me, I think, pretty much, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that there's an expression there. There's an honest expression of um, how we deal with death in all of our loved ones is really an expression of who we are, and I think it shows up. Like, how well do we take care of each other is the same as how well we take care of ourselves. And I think there's a lot of meaning to it. Like, I think there's, there's a lot of um, implications about life. There's a lot of, um, because, I mean, a very calculated and cold person, like, you know, maybe the doctors that are dealing with your family, you know, they may not be emotionally attached to your parents and can see that there's a, like a quantifiable result or a dollar amount or an effort or a time put into your parents and they can value life that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's obviously how they do it. And they're taught not to mm-hmm. be sure. emotionally connected. But I think that, um, <clears throat> I don't think that any of us that resist the conversation of death, um, I think that the more, or sorry, I think the more that we resist the conversation of death, the more that we're going to, the harder it's going to be when we actually face it. So for me, I think that one of the reasons that I go about death the way that I do and have the conversations that I do is because I experience liberation in it because there's a, a level of honesty that comes out of my parents and my grandparents and my loved ones that I get to acknowledge and be a support for them because it, it's a form of vulnerability that I, I think a lot of us don't take on. So that's what I try to do. I mean, I've, there's been several times I've asked my parents about what they want to complete for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And the first time I started asking that question was a little bit confronting to them. Um, and then once they got it, once they got it, they're like, oh, oh, wow. Like there's actually, like I'm actually showing up for what they want to do with their lives, yeah. you know? And I don't know. I, I feel like I'm going to get something out of that. And I also feel like my grandkids are, or their grandkids, my children are going to get something out of that. I, uh, my dad wanted to move to Egypt for 10, 15 years and retire there. And I was like, go, sell your store. Go, please go. Yeah. Because he wanted to, like, I'm fine. I'm an adult. Go. But he, he, you know, I didn't really, I mean, I knew it, but I didn't really realize how much he cared for me being his only child, too. Mm -hmm. Is that he uh, he didn't want to leave me. And I'm like, go, I'll come visit you once a year or something. Right? We'll stay in touch. You know, and, and, you know, it wasn't until this moment, because I've always kind of looked at it like he ran out of time, right? Mm-hmm. We took him last year and did the documentary about it, but we took him. He didn't like it. Within a week, we came back, and, you know, the rest is history that I've shared with you guys and with you guys, too, a bit. But what I realize now is that, you know what, Egypt changed. He wouldn't have been happy even if he was completely healthy, mm-hmm. because it's it's chaos, it's chaotic from from us living here in America, especially in Salt Lake City. Yeah, um, it's like full throttle all the time, constantly. And there's a lot of great things there. There's a lot of great things there, but I'm just talking. I'm not even talking about uh, what people. In America, usually associated with terrorism or danger or whatever. It's not even about that. It's just chaos. And it's just visiting, it's visiting a second world country, 
close to a third world country, but it's a second world country, and you see it when you're spoiled in America, you notice it right away. But I always looked at it like he missed his chance. But I kind of get right now that maybe the chance just changed in the past. He was never going to be happy there, even if he had his faculties. Sure. Well, he may or may not have been, but at the end of the day, from the perspective of a, like from my perspective, he got what he was committed to. And he was more committed to your his relationship with you than he was getting his dreams. And that probably, at the end of the day, meant more. Like even today, I still feel like, well, you know, where do I want to move and what do I want to do with my life? And I'm always going to have considerations of how far away are my parents going to be? You know, because they're still alive. No, I've, I've been doing that, too. Yeah. And I've been, I uh, complained about it, too. It's been, always been the background. I realized that's why I haven't moved, because they're here. Yeah. And, you know. Right. And that's, I mean, I think so. You're and, I've built, and I've built a life here, too. But there's times for years I've wanted to move, and I haven't, because I think about my parents. <laughs> so I think that um, as I was bringing up, from the perspective of a life coach, the way that I bring up death is because we all want glory. We all want this like legacy. We all, we all want the story that we live into for our lives. Anybody who wants to have um, the power and the freedom, you know, to uh, take control of their lives and get what they want out of it. There's the story that we live into and it's our future, but we don't ever consider that um, or I don't ever hear it that, you know, how is it, how is it that I'm going to die? How is it that, like, what is the end of my story going to be? And it's, I mean, we can go get a, a retirement account, account, you know, a 401k, but that's like, I think that as a society, we only live so far into the future rather than all the way to the end. Like what is like, how many of us are going to go out in the blaze of glory or like we have, to, yeah. <laughs> What's that conversation? So, um, chasing nurses. And I don't even, and maybe maybe it's not healthy, but it's something that I think about a lot. I mean, it brought me a lot closer to her. Like, I, you know, when I actually started thinking about, like, where are we going to die together, you know? And, mm-hmm. and working my life backward from that, wow. it brought me a lot closer to her, knowing that, and that made it real. Like, you know, we were married, and I was, like, in a relationship, and we were having a child, I was like, cool. And what's the, you know, I don't know what the future is going to look like. Right. But then when I started looking at a context of like, how are we going to die together? Like she completed me. Like I just got that this is the person that I was going to be with for my whole life and after. So um, that's kind of the context. And that's why I started building that as a reference point is because it actually made a really big impact to say, okay, I'm going to die like this. Mm-hmm. And now I can build a life that looks like that. Mm-hmm. So, great. Cool. I always think like, what, um, like, what are people gonna say at my funeral? Like, who's gonna be there? How many people are gonna be there? Like, I want you know people to show up and be like, they're all sharing stories. Like, oh my gosh, she did this for me. Nobody, you know, she never told anybody else. You know, like, just I wanna have it. I wanna be making a difference for people at my funeral after I'm gone. I don't know if I'll be there. I'm left left handed. No, we made an agreement. We're dying together. Oh, yeah? Yes. But I'm you guys are at the same time. That was before we found out I was left-handed. And there's a statistic there, so. 
and I'm eight years older than you. Just saying. Okay, well. So we call. Holding, I'm holding you to your you to, agreement. To go. So um, what I'm covering today is the neurochemical basis of emotion. So a lot of this is like conceptual and, you know, we get what we're talking about, but there is a physiology to this. So, you know, there's a reason why naming your emotions actually makes a difference for your brain and how you actually process those things. Mm -hmm. um, so emotions, um, we actually know today, they are neurochemicals. They are similar to hormones in the body. Mm -hmm. So it's not like an enzyme, which is an active molecule. It's just a signal molecule. Mm -hmm. Hormones, you know, tell different parts of your body what to do. So these are signals molecules which signal us you know to feel what we feel and there's physiological impacts to that so they've done like thermal scans you know heat scans of people in different emotional states and they've discovered you know if you're depressed like you look really cold there's not a lot of mm -hmm. blood flow you know if you're angry it's a lot up here you know what i mean if there's love and compassion it's like everywhere so it impacts blood flow your nervous system it can cause inflammation pain I mean, there's a real molecular physiology to the emotions that we experience. So um, I use a technique that uses muscle testing to identify what stored emotions are in the body. And then um, we stimulate the spine to help the nervous system. We basically trigger it by making it present. Um, and then we just stimulate the spine and the nervous system to allow your body to actually process that release. And intention, like you said, you know, say everything that's there with the intention, right, that you're letting it go. Intention is huge, and it actually does create physiological changes in our body, and most of us aren't in tune with how to really be intentional. So it does take something to learn that, but, you know, you can disappear pain. You can do all sorts of cool stuff by just intending to. So you, um, you basically need to intend to release the emotion and be willing to let it go. So I'm going to practice on you. Intention is huge. It is so huge what your intention is. And you can carry that through with everything. With your, uh, like I, I call it like I program myself. There's some things I don't program myself because uh, I don't, I guess I'm not committed to it, but uh, when I notice a behavior I'm doing, I start reminding myself and have the intention of change and then catching, oh, I did this. Okay, let me adjust. Oh, I did this. Let me adjust. Mm -hmm. And I've been told by friends or people I've dated, it's really rare because they can bring something up to me. And if it's something I want to change, I'll go, okay, let me work on that. And then they're like, you don't. You changed. I'm like, yeah, I told you. We're working. <laughs> but I don't do everything, right? But I've learned intention is huge. What is your intention? What really is your intention? I just want to say. That's great. No, it's true. Um, so emotions, by the way, when you don't fully process them, they can become stored in any tissue of the body because it's just like a fat toxin, you know, hormones. We store excess hormones in our fat cells. So just like anything, um, when we release these emotions, it's a good thing. Like, it adds color to life. But, you know, every molecule that's made in the body, including, like, dopamine and certain hormones, like, we're constantly building chemicals, and we have to always break those down so that they don't just stay in the body. 
So when we store them, that's when they can wreak havoc. That's where we can get triggered, and then you just can't let it go, you know? Like, I'm trying to let it go. I just can't. Like, I'm so angry, or I'm so sad, or I'm just stuck in depression. So when you're stuck, emotional release tools are really great for that. Um, so quick on muscle testing. Um, muscle testing uses a neurological reflex. So all stimuli that we're exposed to is processed through the same part of our brain. So every stimulus, our brain interprets it, and it responds, and it goes through the same feedback loop always. So, um, you know, kinesiologists use muscle testing to figure out if certain parts of the body are injured um, because there's a stimulus and response, and depending upon that. So you can use muscle testing for anything, but basically we're using it to ask the physical subconscious brain questions because your brain actually knows about tissues and what's going on in your body and it has access to your memories, you know, so it actually knows what emotions you experience and when and if you actually process those. So if you just want to put your arm out like this, yep, and push strong, so be strong. Up or down? Up. Okay. And I'm going to push down, you push up. Okay. Um, and I'm just going to ask, is your name does Elizabeth? It, does it matter that we're touching? No, you're okay. Is your name Elizabeth and strong? Yes. So the muscle locks, and you don't have to answer. Your oh, brain's going to answer. answer. Okay, okay. So yeah, the muscle locks. The camera, so sure. Yeah, and I'm going to say, is your name Bob? Uh, and be strong. Maybe have us no. a little higher. Okay. Can you do Up it? here? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So yeah. is your name Elizabeth? Yes. And the muscle locks. And is your name Bob? No. Push strong, strong, strong. So it's unlocking. So there's no file in your brain that says, I'm Bob. Right? It knows your name is Elizabeth. So now we're going to ask, is there a stored emotion that we can release now? And push strong. Then just speak well. So it says yes. And I have a chart I'm looking at. <laughs> so I'm just going to go through. Is it in column A? Is it in an even row? Is it in row one? Yes. Is it effort unreceived? Yes. Is it heartache? Yes. Do we need to know anything else about this emotion in order for you to release it? No. So on a conscious level, you've probably already worked through it. You know you've experienced heartache or are experiencing it. And your physical body just hasn't actually, like, broken down and detoxed those molecules. Great. So how we're going to tell it to do it is just scoot forward a little bit. And I'm just going to stimulate the spine. And for people who want to do this at home, they can use magnets on the spine or have somebody just, I'm running my hand down, you know, the center of her spine. And that's where all those nerves are for your central nervous system. So you're just going to focus on releasing heartache. And this is great because you can put a name to it. Okay. Did you feel anything? Yeah. Okay. I felt it too. <laughs> I'm good at this. I can feel stuff. So now I'm just going to ask your brain, did we fully release the stored emotion heartache? And yes, your muscle was totally strong. So um, what's so cool about this is, you know, I teach this tool to my clients so that in any situation they can learn to do this. And that emotion is released for good. It's not something you can lose because it's just, it's like you're, you detox it. Um, so I love this technique because it gets to the root cause, and you don't have to keep rehashing the same emotions. Um, so what I'm struck by is that it was that was so quick. It's very quick. And you're saying like it's it's permanent, like that whatever heartache was there that I released is gone permanent. Yes. Now there might be other times you felt heartache, and there sure, might be sure. other chemicals, 
But again, we go through and it takes less than a minute wow. and we actually release that and you could you could feel the difference. Like your body actually so can I speak to that for a second? Yeah. What was your experience? So my experience was when you identified the heartache, like that I actually had like I like had like a pain sensation in my um, torso. Yep. Because it's triggering that molecule. I actually experienced that. And also a little bit of fear, like, oh, no, how's this going to go? Yeah. Right? Like, ah! um, And then when you were um, simulating my spine, it was almost like, it, it was, it was like, um, it was like clean. It was like a clean feeling, like a piece. And I was even like looking for it. Like, is it still there? I was like looking for that pain. Like, is it still there? You know? And it was like, it wasn't. That's awesome. I don't think I'm saying that very well, but that's what it is. It's hard to describe the experience, but it definitely does. And I usually feel like a, just like I breathed it out or something. So um, what's cool is, so there's another technique I'll show people. Um, oh, I want to say one thing. Any amount of talking, conscious, just talking about the heartache is not going to release that molecule in the body. Wow. So getting to physical release, whether that's, you know, massage therapists experience it a lot where they're working on tissues and the person starts talking about some traumatic thing. I mean, any body worker, you, you ask them and they're like, oh, I know what you mean, because they're actually in the tissue where that is actually being released. Um, so, you know, we know this is true, but really getting a way to get that out of your body is huge. Um, another yeah, by ahead. the way, I've never seen McCall do that before, and um, I didn't know how it was going to go. So this, that was unscripted. That's all. I oh, that's cool. Yes. Yeah. So we can keep going, and we, you could also target any specific symptom or event. Okay. So, you know, like um, when I start having a bunch of headaches, I'm like, are there sort of emotions that are causing my headaches? And I find everything related to that, and they go away. So there's really cool impacts to this. And if you guys know anybody who's grieving, this would be a great resource for them because you didn't have to talk about it you didn't have to cry the best part. you didn't have to relive it <laughs> you know your brain yeah. already knew and so we just helped your body let it go and yeah. then you actually felt free of it so i love that another one is tapping um i don't use it a lot to get to the root cause but it's really great when you're triggered okay because it's like boom there's fresh emotion and if you don't have access to releasing it right now um, you can actually tap, which helps your body actually just process it in the moment. Mm -hmm. So instead of resisting it, because most of us, when we feel negative emotions, we don't want to feel those. We literally learn from childhood, you know, stuff it down, tough it up, buckle up, you know. Do your phone. Yeah, distract <laughs> yourself. You know, I'm feeling yeah. my parents are like, Instagram. Yeah. Why are people taking selfies? Why am I looking at it? And it's like, you know, we are in a society where you just have to look together. So you can't, you know, show up and be like, I'm having a really hard time with this business meeting, you know, and this is what just happened. You're like, hi, you know, my spouse just said they wanted a divorce and I'm going to conduct this meeting like nothing ever happened. You know what I mean? So, um, so tapping, there are certain points and what I like to have people do, and we can all do it if you want to pick something, um, an emotion. So pick an emotion that you can put a name to. Um, for me, I think it's going to be like, <clears throat> I've had a lot on my plate, so I'm just going to say overwhelm. I think a lot of people can relate to that. So rate it on a scale of 0 to 10. How? Jealousy. 
I'm jealous, are you? <laughs> How? I wanted you to do the exercise on him. Okay. <laughs> the jealousy. So, yeah. Okay. It's like two. It's not that big, but that's the one oh. I'm picking. <laughs> so, well, it's interesting that's the one you pick. Uh, it is quite interesting. So, rate it on a scale of 0 to 10. And then we're just going to go through tapping points. So, the first is um, actually, there is one on your hand. So, you'll just tap. Can we all do it? Yep. What are we doing? Oh, I'm supposed to pick one? Yeah, pick one. Overall strength. Okay, even though I'm feeling overwhelmed, or whatever it is, I completely love and accept myself. The next one's on the top of your head, and you just keep saying that. Even though I'm overwhelmed, I completely love and accept myself. <laughs> you were. Um, then at the point of your, right love, at the edge of your eyebrow. I completely love and accept myself. And then right here. I mean, I completely love and accept myself. I completely love and accept myself. And under your eye. On the top of I completely love and accept myself. And on the top of your lip. I completely love and accept myself. Even though I'm feeling what I'm feeling. And... There's one under your chin. I completely love and accept myself even though I'm feeling what I'm feeling. And right here on your collarbone, it's kind of like right under your collarbone. Even though I'm feeling overwhelmed, I completely love and accept myself. Even though I'm feeling overwhelmed, I completely love and accept myself. And right underneath yep. your arm on your side. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I completely love and accept myself. Okay, we're going to do that again, and we're just going to say the emotions. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. And your eye, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm so stressed out. I'm so stressed out. Under your eye, top of your lip. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Feeling really stressed out. Feeling now really I am feeling stressed, stressed out. out. That's funny how when you don't resist it, you can feel it. And under your collarbone. I'm really overwhelmed. I'm really overwhelmed. I've been really overwhelmed. I've been really Last overwhelmed. Couple weeks. Okay, now let's check in again. So on a scale of zero to ten, what is your how are you, how much are you feeling now? So relaxed actually. Did it? So the number went down. What I'm was? Not, I'm not big on tapping at all. I'm not either. But it's a no. great tool in the moment. Now you guys, it's not gonna release what's actually there, but it will teach you how to put a name to an emotion. How to actually not resist it, but feel it, which is exactly what Elizabeth is talking about. And eventually, you won't actually have to do the tapping. That's my experience. You learn mm. to not resist it. So like what I was saying about training myself. Yeah. So even in your head, like I, I don't know how to describe it, but I'm like, oh, I'm just noticing I'm resisting all these emotions. I'm just going to sit here and feel it. <clears throat> I'm going to feel where it is in my body. I'm just going to be with it. I'm going to keep, like, looking for it. Like you said, look for that pain. And you'll notice, like, if you totally don't resist it and you're just exploring and experiencing it and observing it, you're not stuck in it anymore. And it actually goes away. So there's a lot of different techniques out there. But you do, you know, I just wanted to give exposure to being the possibility of actually dealing with and releasing those emotions as a physical thing. Not just, it's not conceptual, it's not in your head, you know, and there is actually a way to do it. So if, you know, you're feeling stuck or you feel like you can't get over these emotions, a therapist is great, and they may not actually, they're not going to address the physiology of this. Um, so you don't have to talk about it for 10 years. 
you can actually, you know, do a couple release sessions and really be free of, of that. Help your body. Like like you said, your body will thank you because it feels good. Right. Cool. So, any questions about that? Nope. All right. Thanks. No, yeah, I do have a question. So, I the reason why I haven't been big on tapping and uh, try not to take too long to explain so I can talk. Okay, but, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, is that I had a friend that he, whatever would happen, he was like, you're <laughs> doing it everywhere. And I'm like, okay, dude, it's obviously not working because you're a wreck. Yeah. And, and it's a little weird. Yeah. So it's so not a solution you, for people with OCD. So he, like, and I know him and you know, I haven't mm-hmm. seen a great progress with it. Um, Perfect. But, but, but and that's what I Because you said do it in the moment. How do you do it in the moment when you're dealing with something? You can't just do it because you have to be concerned about people's view, too. Mm. Do you go to the bathroom? What would you suggest? You see what I'm saying? That's what, good, is, yeah. what is the moment? So two things. If there's recurring issues, whatever tool it is, no matter how great it sounds or how, you know, reliable the results are, it's not working for you. <clears throat> so if you have auto-recurring issues, that would be a signal that that's not the tool. Mm, that might help them cope in the point. moment, that's but it's not point. getting to the root cause. It's band-aiding, right? Yeah. When I take Advil, my pain goes away, but it's not actually going away. Mm-hmm. I'm just, right, pacifying it. So um, that's where we would get to the root cause, and that's a whole other technique <laughs> that I have, right? But there is a place where all of those triggers are actually in the brain and we'd have to do a therapy to actually complete that in the brain. Um, What I do, you know, it's interesting when I first started tapping and I stopped doing it because I found other things for me that would get to the root cause, but I would actually tap. I would find a way to tap, but nobody, you know what I mean? Nobody would be able to see it. So there are discrete (laughs) ways. Yeah, there's discrete ways to do it, but yeah. Say, you know, I'm just going to take a bathroom break. Go do it in the bathroom. That's great. Or, you know, get through whatever. um, Tapping. Oh, okay. Get through whatever the moment is. Make sure you go and you actually deal with the emotions. See, that's what most people don't have. Animals in the wild, they'll go through really stressful events. They'll get through it. They'll make sure everything's taken care of. Then they'll go off by themselves. And they'll shake. That's Have you heard shake therapy? <laughs> they do. And they shake and they shake and they shake. And what is it doing? It's releasing all the chemicals wow. in the muscles. It's actually it activating their metabolism. Yeah, so people go work out, right? Or they go running, like a physical thing to actually release that emotion. Mm, and what we do in society today, we don't ever take that break. And then we wonder why we can't sleep and why our brains are too overactive and why we wake up tired and why all these things. So get, just make sure you give yourself that personal time where you can ad- address it and deal with the emotions. Great. So, yeah, I noticed that in the eye of the storm, I am cool and calm as a cucumber. I'm like, I handle my shit. At the end yep. of it, after it's over, I'm stressed. Like I de decompress. Me too. Yeah. Um, so that brings me to talking about my my what I've been seeing. Oh, can I say one more thing? No. <laughs> stress is not necessarily bad. Don't be afraid of stress. Stress actually can be the same physiology as excitement. So they've done studies where if you think stress causes negative impacts on your body and your health, 
that it's going to. But if you look at stress as it's producing adrenaline so that you can rise to the occasion, rock it, you know, address everything that needs to, and you have every all the adrenaline, all the tools, your your brain, you know, your reflexes are all strong, you know, afterwards, then you can go deal with it. So perception around stress is also huge. Don't look at grief as a bad thing. Don't look at stress as a bad thing. Get that your body's responding and you can deal with whatever you need to deal with effectively and then you'll have your personal time. And you sure. just want to plug that in. Yep. Um, so my what I've been seeing with uh, death with my with my father, he did he didn't pass away, but uh, he's had a, a lot of scares. Um, he had pneumonia last year twice. He was in the hospital for I don't know how long, 30 days off and on. He had to go to the hospital four times last year, one time this year. Um, and I got to see how people react to it. Um, like they're ready, they're digging the hole, and they're like, hey, do you want us to let him go? When he was still fighting. He was still like, he had a lot of life left in him. I'm like, no. And I asked him, he wants to be clear. And even in his most delirious he was having delirium because he was in the hospital. He had been dealing with Alzheimer's. And he was in a waking dream, and they had him restrained, and I had to hold him down so that they could pump, uh, take blood gas out of him, which I didn't know was a thing, but they, there's blood gas, there's blood, and there's blood gas. They ran all these tests, um, which they don't really say how invasive it is, now that I get that after having the experience, because they ask you if you want to do palliative care or you want to do aggressive care. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Look at him. He's still fighting everyone off. It seems like he wants to live. But even then, I asked him, uh, hey, Dad, do you want to live? And he opened his eyes in his waking dream he was having. And he goes, no. (laughs) 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 And he went back back to his dream. And I know my dad. That's exactly something he would say, right? Um, but he, you know, he was talking about honoring your your people in general, people. Um, and that's what I've been doing, but it's been overwhelming how many doctors. Because at the University of Utah, they give great care, but they have three doctors on your team. Uh, the, the master, the middle guy, and the newbie, basically. And they all talk to you. And they're all telling you, do you want us to let them die? I'd have that conversation over and over and over and over to the point I just would snap people's snap at people because they wouldn't shut up. Beep. Shut the up. Beep up. They wouldn't. And I mean, one lady would just kept going. I'm like, look, I know. I heard you. No. Stop it. And all it was was a blood transfusion, that one. And he wasn't even in the hospital for long. But he was all like, Walking around and eating, he had a feed tube, he had a uh, catheter, and uh, they were telling me that they would take the feed tube out and he's going to die. He's going to be able to eat. He's going to have a week or two left. And I had to deal with that crap over and over again, and it was stressful. It was so stressful. You know, and and maybe one of the things I had to deal with was I, uh, it, it was difficult. I didn't know how to deal with it. Right? There's situations you're going to have. You don't really know how or what to do with it because I've never been through it. Now, my dad's had to go to the hospital, and my mom had to go to the hospital, like a month in between this, this year. And so I've been here before. I know what to do. I know what to expect. I'm like, 
they were about to tell me the conversation. I told them, stop. I know exactly what you're going to say. I don't want to hear it. He wants to live. You know, I know when to pull the plug, and there's no plug to pull, so shut up. <laughs> you know? And my dad was uh, chasing people around with his cane, and, you know, because he was confused. And I mean, what, what, I'm, what I'm speaking to is that he was alive and kicking, and sometimes. Literally. Yeah, well, I'm kicking, really, you know. He pushed and kicked everyone out of his room, and he sat outside his room because he didn't want anyone to go in, even my mom, who stays right next to him. They've been married 54 years. And so, um, you know, paying attention to how other people view death because they saw him in pain, and he had bad days, like chasing people out. And the next thing I know, I come to check it out and see if I could help that day I'm talking about. And they're cuddling in, in the in the hospital bed. I'm like, you guys are so funny. I hear all this drama. I come to check it out, and you guys are done with it. And they're they're uh, they are a handful, but they're a handful to live. They want to live. I keep uh, posting this poem. The one I'm going to go over a few because we don't have much time, but left, but. Um, just so you guys know, it's 101. Um, but he's always been raging against life. Not against it, but he's always wanted to live. He's gotten depressed. He hasn't done everything that he wanted to do, but he's always wanted to live. And so that's what I've seen. And so, like, what I say is that why have a bucket list? You know, and it's different than your point of view, and that's fine. But I'm like, why am I bucket list? Bucket lists are stupid. That, in my point of view, they are the dumbest thing anyone, whoever created that, that is just completely retarded. Have a life <laughs> list. Have a list for you to live and do the things that you want to do while you're alive, not before you're going to die. And in my point of view, that's so, that's so bleak. Focus on living and focus on all the things you want to do in your life. And... You know, he he hasn't done everything he wanted to do. I don't really know what he wanted to do. We did go to Egypt, so we did that. But really, he just wants to live and enjoy his life as much as he can. He has bad days, and he has good days, and we all have those. And his days can be worse, but he laughs. He gets a gleam in his eye when he sees me. He... Maybe he does, you know, and it's like it's like accepting that love and getting it. Like they want to see me every day, so I I try to see him every day. Um, but some days I don't want to see him, <laughs> and I've had to worry. Well, what if today's the day? What if he dies? I'm gonna feel like an ass, a beef, <laughs> for not seeing him that day. Um, but uh, he wants to live, and just you know. Through everyone else's point of view, you have to choose what's best for you, what's best for your family, your loved ones, whoever you're making that decision for. And it's hard because the my experience, when I'm in this position, it's hard because the people around you will impress their point of view upon you, and you have to be the captain of your own ship and push back. And eventually, they, people will start rallying around you because they get it. They see how you're, what you're trying to do for whoever you're trying to do. And, and for me, it's obviously my parents. And 
they are a handful. You know, my mom has a mental illness. My dad now has a mental illness. He always dealt with my mom, and now it's like trying to deal with these two powerful people that are a little off. Um, so, and spend time with people now. Don't spend time with them when they die, because they'll be dead. Spend time with them now, even if it bugs you and irritates you, because once they're gone, you're going to miss that. And I've, I've been able to see that. A friend of mine, Ron Baroness, I don't know if you guys know him. He's a landmark guy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I um, he told me his dad passed away, and he says, Adam, you'll never regret the times that you spent with them because they'll be gone. And it's hard. I mean, I've had my dad, I've had my dad kicking me out of my house the first night we spent here. <laughs> And he, he thought it was his house. He's like, thank you very much. Get out of here. You messed everything up. He doesn't realize he messed things up, but it's okay. Right? So wow. there's times I don't want it. But, you know, looking back, we had those were the moments to have. Maybe that's the thing, being grateful for those mm-hmm. moments. Even though they were crappy or bad, you had those moments. Mm-hmm. Um and the last thing I'll say is uh, when people need help, sometimes they're unable to ask or receive it, and you just have to kind of try to step up for them. And I still struggle with that because it's normal to ask someone what they need and say it's here for you. And th- that's one of the things I, I saw in Landmark different than the world is that Sometimes you have to go help someone do something if you're committed to them succeeding or having it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's part of their, not disease, but part of the situation or circumstance they're in. They're, they're like, and I'm talking about myself too, is that they're buried. They're unable to do what they need to do. And maybe I've seen that with my parents because my dad wants to live, but he's unable to do certain things. He fights off physical therapy or he fights off uh, taking pills every time. He's always been so stubborn. But I know part of his stubbornness is what's keeping him alive. He's stubborn against death. And, uh, you know, he's, I saw him, like, getting medicine last night. And he's like, this, two, one. I mean, like, every time now, almost, <laughs> right? Sometimes he just takes it, but it's. It's normal for him to argue with you about everything, right? Everything's like a challenge with him. And it's not always. But, uh, you know, rage against life. And you can take that however you want to. But live life is what I say. Live. Create a life list, not a bucket list. Thank you guys for watching and listening to Mastermind in Your Pocket. We went a little over today because I wanted to get that all out. Uh, If you guys want to watch our next show, it's all about sex. Yay! Sex and intimacy. We'll be talking about sex and intimacy and what it's like for you, what what we hear from our, our people, and what Barriers yeah, to barriers and, and how to make it work. Else. Yep, how to talk straight with children in a constructive way. For that's what she'll be talking about. I will not be talking about that. <laughs> I'm just mentioning some things we're covering. Yeah, well, it's good. It's good. It's gonna be an awesome show. I'll tell you that. Yeah, it'll be all about sex. We'll be sharing our different viewpoints about sex, um, and it should be pretty good. It'd be pretty diverse for sure. Uh, 
And if you guys want to work with us, how do they reach you, Heber? Uh, just Facebook Messenger, uh, Heber LeBaron. And you offer a 20-minute uh, coaching? I do a 30-minute session. 30-minute session, okay. Yeah. Just so we got that uh, clear. Just private message Heber or McCall? And you can email me at info at integritywellness.org or find, find me on Facebook as well. Um, and depending upon what you want to be doing, I offer a free 20 or 30-minute consult. Great. I'm at elizabeththeinterpreter.com or elizabeththeinterpreter at gmail.com is a way to email me. Great. And if you want to work with me, I help you with your life goals, your health goals, and marketing strategies at work, and we guarantee results. There'll be a link on the bottom of this uh, feed that you can click on and set up your time, and I give you a one-hour free complimentary session, and I guarantee you will get value out of that session and get what you want from that session, and you never have to work with me again, but it's great if you do. Thank you guys for listening and watching Mastermind in Your Pocket, where we bring the experts and we share ideas on subjects that matter to you. See you later. Thank See you. Guys. Bye. Thanks, guys. Winding down. We're not going on mute. There we go. All right. We're on mute. Twitter one is a good stop, too. Can you stop that one?